0: Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Okay, so I'm, I'm, man, I'm excited to teach today. You guys good? All right, grab a Bible, Acts. We're going to Acts chapter 2. Uh, there, there's some slides here to give you some review. Um, I've been preaching through the book of Acts. This is our fourth week in a a series called empowered for life. I'm just going to jump in with a question. When you think of, uh, the word church, what do you think of? When you think of the church, where does your mind go? Maybe it goes to a building. I live on third street. And if you take, uh, basically go from downtown all the way past Redondo, um, to, Miramar, there are three Methodist church buildings, a congregational building, a Presbyterian building, a Christian outreach and action, uh, a Presbyterian church that was built in 1914 that is now a Cambodian Buddhist temple. There's uh, another church that is now, uh, well, it's going to be senior housing, but it is on uh, Orizaba and third It is the meditation and uh, center for trans, uh, center for transcendental living. what's it called? Center for trans, what is it? I don't remember what it is anymore. Anyways, it's a meditation center of some sort uh, where they did yoga and all sorts of things. And then there's um, uh, a temple for Israel, a temple Israel, the Jewish community. When, when you think of church, maybe you think of buildings and maybe um, you think of programs or you think of of, of this gathering on Sunday where, where people set up you know, sound systems and we have stage lights and Um, this display of food and goods over here uh, and and people rehearse and practice and uh, maybe you think, uh, what what do you think of? Yeah, okay, so some of us think of the body. I mean, but what about your experience? You know, I grew up in the church so I I think of, when I think of church, I think of the stale youth group I went to. You know, and and, um, I think of community groups or small groups or life groups. You think of all sorts of things and I guess the, The the point I want to make is that you all have a perspective of the church that you carry in here. You all have a framework for what you think the church should be or shouldn't be. Some of you, when you you started coming to the garden, you're like, How on earth can a teenager preach on Sundays or whatever it was? At least that was the constant comment I got um, early on. I have aged over the last five years of church planning, a few wrinkles. Some of you think of, 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 of a church in a way that it's about, um, uh, you, you start, we, all carry, we all carry a grid system, a grading scale of what, what makes church good or bad. We're all, we're all subject to this. I mean, we're all guilty of this. Was the worship set good? Was, what, did the pastor use enough Bible? Did he say enough Greek words to make me feel like he studied well? Is he funny? Is he too old or too young? Whatever it is, we all carry these, these, this framework. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been in leadership, and, and we've been devastated by decisions that have made. We've hurt others. Some of us have been misunderstood in ways that cause pain. I guess... As we think about the church, we have to recognize that we all have baggage when it comes to church. And I want to ask the question, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean for us to be the church today? And just to frame it, here's a slide. Um, Here's some thoughts on the church that I have. You know, the church is a group of people gathered around the confession that Jesus is Lord. So we can say the church exists in coffee shops when followers come together to to confess Jesus as Lord and worship and participate in disciple-making and community. We could say that uh, the Bible uses all sorts of language for the church. They call it a family. Um, It's a family. And that's not helpful because most of us don't have healthy families. In fact, all families at some level are unhealthy. It's considered more of an extended family. Think of like that barbecue that you have with all those aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and people that don't aren't, aren't really related to you. It's more like that, in all the good ways. At least that's what the Bible says, and it says it's the new Israel, it's a household, um, uh, it's a the bride of Christ. It is. I wrote. I wrote. It's a com, uh, one of the words used is a community of called out ones. We're called out. Of what? Think about it. The next, uh, I wrote. I think the church is more of an authentic, redeemed human community that is a foreshadow of what is to come when heaven unites earth. uh, earth, Heaven unites with earth once and for all. We are a foreshadow, a foretaste of what's to come. That's what the church is designed to be, and and simply, it's a a spirit-filled community of Jesus followers living on mission for the renewal of all things. I think that that shapes my theology of what this thing, church is about at the garden? What are we trying to do here? Or, and why? You with me? So Acts um, gives us a snapshot of what the early church looked like in Acts chapter two, verse 42. Um, one of the things that's been puzzling to me is uh, for a guy who studied other religions, um, the, Christ, the Christian movement is the most significant movement in human history. Okay. One of the uh, authors, a sociologist who was an agnostic at the time, he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity. He had a thesis, a, more of a question that, that he, um, he wrote, a sociological perspective, an anthropological perspective on the church and what happened. He asked this, he said, how did a tiny and obscure messianic movement from the edge of the Roman Empire dislodge classical paganism and become the dominant faith of Western civilization? How did that happen? And how did, it, how did the number of Christians grow from a thousand people in and in around 40 AD to approximately 34 million around 350 AD with persecution, with no formal training, with no buildings of the sort? How is how there 40% growth each decade? That's, that's the fact. Those are the facts of Christianity. And to answer that question, I think we have to go and look at the early church and and not try to become the early church, but pray that the characteristics that mark the early church would mark the garden. Okay, So my hope today is to just show you what the scripture says and ask the question, what does it mean for you individually and then what does it mean for us collectively? And I want to invite you to just release all the baggage that you have when it comes to church. Because most of us carry with us pain, expectations, and preferences of what this is to be like. And I'm hoping that we can push that aside and become uh, a crop that will produce a hundredfold. Are you with me? Okay, so Acts 2 says this. We're going to look at Acts 2 and Acts 4. They devoted themselves to to the apostles' teaching... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Skip to Acts 4, and look at verse 32. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Acts 2 and 4, in these particular uh, passages, are uh, Acts 2, in fact, is perhaps one of the densest, most carefully worded passages in the entire book of Acts. Each word and each phrase could be turned over and over again without exhausting the meaning or um, Watering down the application for us. And I want to look at these characteristics of what the church looked like when the Spirit empowered community. You see, everything that marks the early church is the result of the Spirit. Everything that marked what we just read was the result of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't just take this list and apply it upon us and say, if we just do these things, then we're going we're gonna to look like that. I don't think that's what happened. I think it was the result of what happens when people are honestly filled with the Spirit and live in authentic community. Uh... uh Luke writes this particular passage, Acts 2, as a snapshot or portrait of what the church looked like. So um, it's as if he's pausing, because remember what happened right before this. Jesus has been um, resurrected from the dead. He spends time with his disciples. He said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you for witness. Your lives are going to point to me wherever you go. They're going to bring testimony to the resurrection. But you have to wait To do that, because you have to be filled with the Spirit. Then the Spirit comes and fills the community of God. And the Spirit fills people so that it can do something in them, so that it can do something through them. Right? And then what happens? We see that Peter stands up. Remember the passage earlier in Luke is that Peter sat down and denied Christ three times. But now he stands up and is given boldness to proclaim the gospel of the resurrected Christ with conviction. And 3,000 people are saved. And then Luke kind of pulls back and says, hey, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It's, it's as if, um, it's, it reminds me, of the way that this is written, it's kind of like a narrative. Luke is going to do this multiple times throughout the story of Acts. And he's trying to pull back and kind of take, take a look at the framework, the landscape, and give you a portrait of what the church is about. When I, I went to Israel a couple years ago, and I got a chance to um, go to the Jordan River. And we were rafting down the Jordan River as a group. We were, on, we were touring um, Israel. We went to Galilee and different parts of Jerusalem um, and Tel Aviv. And we, we were on the Jordan. And it became a competition, believe it or not. Um, if you know me at all, everything becomes a competition. And uh, so we were, we were trying to get to the point as fast as we could. And, and believe it or not, our, our boat was winning. Um, of course. And... Um, And we were splashing each other. And it was just this chaos down this river. And it was was closed off to the public because there were rapids at the time. So we were were going down the Jordan. And we were were splashing each other and trying to get there as fast as we could. And I just paused. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm on the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized here. And all of a sudden, like, I stopped paddling. I stopped caring about winning, which is good for me. A discipline of the Spirit. And um, I just took it in. And I remember... I remember taking in everything. The sun was beating down. I remember looking um, at the trees on the side. They were kind of overgrown in the area we were rafting down. I I looked at the water, and I I was just imagining Jesus coming and being baptized and watching disciples being baptized in this river. And and for a moment, I had this this snapshot of, wow, look at where we are. And that's what this passage is about. similar to that, where you've got to pause and see that there's something miraculous happening. You with me? And so let's look at the first verse. I'm just going to break it down like a Bible study. I love kind of breaking it down in this way. And um, I believe this is quite a prophetic moment for our church. And I'm speaking that way gently. But I think this is a truth God wants to communicate to the garden, to those that make the garden, and to our generation. Okay, so it says this, uh, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to the prayer. So it says, they devoted themselves. Now, the word devoted is this, com- um, this, this kind of constant commitment. It's this, this continual commitment to something. It's continually giving your full attention to dot, dot, dot. And so we look right at the first verse, we recognize that the early church members were active participants in the life of the Spirit and community. They weren't passive observers. In the church, the whole community, we're not talking about 120, we're talking about 3,000 plus now. They were active participants, not spectators to a show. They weren't sitting. In seats. They were actively involved and continually committing to something. They are continuing to show up and, and do these particular things. And then they're going to list off, Luke lists off those things that they were doing. But, but I need to pause and just think about that. They were continually committed to something. I mean, just the testimony against our culture is the maybe click on the Facebook invite. We <laughs> We laugh. We are a non-committal generation. Our word is not our word. Our word is whatever is convenient, whatever whatever is comfortable, however we feel in the moment, whatever is uh, safe in the moment. Uh, Our our commitment is based on who else is going, if we like them or not, if there's girls involved, or whatever it is, if you're single. Um, But our commitment level is based on that. On all these ambiguous things. And one of the things that marks a spirit-filled church is a continued commitment and devotion to particular things that make the church the church. We all, in my opinion, most of us, need to repent from our busyness. Jesus is not even a priority in our lives. He's an accessory, an addition let alone to commit to being to belonging into a community, to belong to a community that looks different than the way I want it to be? To belong in such a way that it's not about me, it's about others? What does that look like? To to repent from our judgmental spirits, our critical spirits, our non commitment to one another. The first thing we see in the church is a That the church is an active participant in the life of the community. Are are you an active participant? I, I talk to so many people that see church as as something they can just show up to. These, you know, Hillsong LA starts. They they go there, and I read articles on this, and it breaks my heart. Churches in LA are upset that another church is being planted in LA. We need thousands of churches in Los Angeles. Thousands of churches in Long Beach. Thousands of churches in Orange County and Southern California. We need lots and lots of churches for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate with those churches. But let us actively participate in one local community. We are not consumers. We are witnesses of the resurrection and full participants in what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ. Are you with me? So, uh, one of the things we see is that everyone gets to play. I love this. You, we all have to participate. Everyone must play for us to be a healthy church. We all have to give something, we have to come and participate. This is not something you spectate at. And if you think of church as just Sunday, you are you are just dramatically missing the point. I can't overstate that. So everyone gets to play. And so here's the list of the things that they, um, they committed themselves to. They, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to meals together, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, miracles, signs and wonders, generosity, hospitality, praise, and evangelism. Look at that list. That's exhausting. I'd rather just have my Jesus Calling in You version when I'm drinking my coffee. Pour over, of course. Um... <laughs> oh. I'm just playing. So we have this list, and these are, this is the list that we're not supposed to just start doing, although it might be helpful. We're supposed to look at it in ways that characterize the church. But let me, let me categorize them in the way that uh, famous pastor John Stock, categorizes them. There are four words that define any church. And here's what he says. He says, um, The early church was defined by a learning, loving, worshiping, that evangelizing community. This is the type of community that you see as the legs of the table. There are four different aspects to what it means to be the church. And without one, you're completely missing it. And in fact, I just need to say, do you know the church in the United States is failing drastically right now? More churches are dying than starting. More people are leaving than coming. And I think it has to do with becoming this type of community that is spirit-filled and exists in this way. So I want to break it down. So um, this is essentials for life of the church. The four uh, categories. So first of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what does that mean? It means that the church is a learning church. It's one devoted to the teaching of scriptures. We have to be devoted to the scriptures as, as a community of God. As a people, the early church received their teaching from the apostles. The apostles received it from Jesus. We receive our teaching through the scriptures and teachers like myself and Bill and our community group leaders. We all at some level need to devote ourselves to becoming learners of Christ, shaping our lives around Jesus. Not just here on Sunday. If this is where you're getting fed, you're missing it. Where no attention is given to the teaching of scriptures, we quickly revert to a worldview or mindset that's surrounded by our culture. And we end up with minds shaped by whichever social pressure is the most persuasive. And I'm afraid that this is what uh, is going to affect the next generation more than anything else. Is that culture is moving at such a progressive place, into a progressive place, that truth and uh, truths of scripture, truths of Jesus are are no longer relevant in the sense that the church is not embodying these things. And so our minds are, are shaped more by media, social media, by blog posts, rather than the word of God itself. We need to be more influenced by Jesus than anything else. You with me? So we become a learning community, and one author says there is no such thing as a spirit-filled Christian who neglects the Word of God. Let's balance the spirit with scriptures. Uh, the second thing they committed themselves to is fellowship, and one most scholars believe that the rest of those those the rest of the list are aspects of fellowship. Okay. So the word fellowship is this very unique word. It's this Greek word for koinonia, and it means a shared sense of identity. It means a commonality, a commonness. And, and, and I want to push back because I hear Christians all the time. I get this all the time in the garden. Uh, you, you just want community groups to be a safe, comfortable place for, for a close-knit group of friends, and we keep outsiders away. And it's just about us, me, you, and Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, we just need our Bible studies and and our good coffee or or beverages of choice. We need to eat meals together with 12 people, and that's it, and exclude the world. If we can just really love and care care for each other, just us, then, then it will be poured out to the outside. That's not the church. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is not what happens when Christians hang out. Fellowship is not what happens when you go to a picnic and bring punch. Fellowship is when a community is filled with the Spirit and live together on mission. Without mission, there is no fellowship. Without the task of the kingdom, of establishing God's reign here on earth with Him, we become navel gazers. We just look inward, just keep it about us, and the church dies because of it. Fellowship is about being together on mission. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Have you ever gone overseas with a small group of people that were all strangers and come back and you're like, something happened on that trip and it changed us? There's this type of intimacy that, that we just want to continue here. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been on a sports team that won the championship or lost the championship? But the process of fighting for that together and the camaraderie, camaraderie most of the times I was winning. Just No, I'm just kidding. I lost a lot. That's why there's a drive. Just kidding. For all of you new people, I don't always talk like this. Okay, I kind of do. Um, just get used to it. But that's the point. You develop this type of intimacy. This intimacy that's shaped around doing this thing together. It's not about, let's just experience each other together. That's part of it. It's about doing this, this mission. This thing that Jesus invites us to do together. Fellowship is, is that a shared commonality around mission, mission. It, it, it's this beautiful thing. And when we exclude outsiders, we miss the point. Jesus doesn't call, he doesn't call us to hang out with each other. He doesn't say, hey, start communities. He says, make disciples of all the nations. Teach them the ways of Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is an outward going message. You with me? And so fellowship is a spirit filled community on mission fellowship. uh, They experience fellowship in the breaking of bread. And I love that Luke records this because it's about meals together. There's something beautiful about us gathering together to eat meals. Something prophetic and beautiful and and life giving. But also, breaking of bread is about the Eucharist. It's about communion, these elements, the bread and the juice, representing the life, the ministry, the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. They gather together in unity around the elements because that's what separates them from everything else. That's what unites the world under that confession, under that practice. It's not a bunch of doctrine statements that they're writing. They're not not organizing their their lives around institutional statements. They're organizing their, their lives around the confession that Jesus is Lord. They're recognizing the bread and the juice and the symbol of that. And coming together saying, this is most essential to us. They experience fellowship through that. You with me? They experience fellowship in prayer, which we 'll get to in a second, but the community coming together and remembering uh, and, and participating in one of the most sacred and powerful acts we can do as a church together is corporate prayer uh, fellowship in giving, and I love this one the, why in both these, these markers, it says um, all, of the belie- all the believers were together and had everything in common, they sold property and the possession and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In Acts 4, it says, with great power, the apostles, uh, sorry, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. There was no needy person among them. Oh my gosh, is this a utopia? No. It's church. It's what happens when the Spirit gets a hold of your heart. When He gets a hold of your heart, He gets a hold of your stuff. And when He gets a hold of your stuff, and you live in authentic community, you can't help but become aware of other people and their needs. You can't help but notice the abundance that you have. So generosity is a marker of the church. We experience fellowship in it. Fellowship cost us something. It cost the early church something. The word uh, for generosity in the Greek is similar to the word for fellowship in the Greek. Do you see it? It has to do with sharing something in common. It was normative for the community of God to sell possessions and give. They weren't living in communes. They weren't selling everything. It's not like they gave up all their homes and lived on the streets. That's not what was going on. They just learned to share with one another. another. And that revealed God more than anything else. Could you imagine? I've done this before, but in my life... I I just yesterday I was like looking at what we had or what we have lots of usually in our in our in our household. And and for us, you know, I'm a big fan of Raisin Bran. I'm a big fan of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Apparently, a lot of people are because like multiple people came up. They didn't grab anything else, but they grabbed this. And this is the only thing that's empty. Um, So but so what you know, when you live in authentic community and I mean, really learn to live in authentic community. People's burdens become your burdens. This isn't about mandating. This is about an invitation to experience the life that is life. There are people in our community that don't have enough food to eat. You know, the most compelling thing that that marks the church in Acts 2 and 4 is that some people had two bags of homeboy tortilla chips. And they gave to those that didn't have tortilla chips. How many of you would just love just this salsa? Maybe not right now, but just like fresh salsa. Just imagine like, and, and the thing is they ate in meal, meals together, right? So they, breaking bread was about sitting down in table fellowship. And really good salsa really spicy salsa. Um, And somehow, in sharing that, they're experiencing the mission of God. Remember, the Table Fellowship was about inclusion. It was about the mission of God including the outsiders. I got stuff in my teeth. About those that didn't have enough. I mean, I just went through and was looking at, I've got a couple of books here that have lots of extras. And, Books that have shaped my life in many ways. Screw tape letters, Life Together. Uh, Don Williams, who goes to our church, he's got a few books here on the kingdom of God. Ministry books. I've got um, a Keurig. I swore I'd never drink out of a Keurig, but when you have a baby, and when he was up at 2 a.m. all the time, my mom was prophetic and knew that I would want it. I was like, no, I don't want it. But I have some extra coffee for Keurigs. And I realized, you know, the the, the powerful thing about living in community is not just to look at, like, you know, your your fridge and grocery list, but to look at every part of your capital, you have relational capital, people that you have access to that other people don't. You have uh, financial capital. Some of us have lots of money. Some. I, what I mean by lots is you can pay your bills. You have a fridge. You have a car, maybe two. Most people in the world don't. Um, financial capital. We have relational capital. I said that. We have... Um, uh, uh, physical capital, our time, our, our abilities. Some of us can walk without hurting. We can lift stuff for other people. We can give our time. We have extra time because we have jobs that give us flexibility. We can give more time than other people. Um, we have spiritual capital. All of us have spiritual capital that we can give. And uh, intellectual capital. We all know things. And we can help other people with things. And So I realized that my life is about sharing Raisin brand. And that when you live in an authentic community, life becomes, um, you become a FedEx delivery guy or gal. And everything you own, everything you have is about learning how to live in such a way that blesses, it blesses the most amount of people. A FedEx delivery guy is not judged on how well he holds the box He's not judged on how many boxes he can hold. In fact, he'll lose his job if he tries to just keep it all for himself because he recognizes his job is to take what was given to him and deliver it to the person that needs it. All of your life in community becomes like FedEx or Amazon or whatever you want to call it, where all of a sudden everything you have is put on, on um, the table for God to recognize, first, that all of life is a gift, and all of it is to be used in such a way that you can bless others with, especially in community. you with me. Raisin brand. I've got two. Someone can have one. But save, save one for the next week, or for the next service. Um, what do you have in your life that's abundant, that you can share? What are the capitals you possess? I have an extra computer in my house. Some people don't have a laptop. I've got two. What do you have that becomes about sharing? And when you live this particular way, it reveals God to the world. And what, this type of bearing with one another, is there's a word for it. And it's called agape. It's unconditional love. It's a love that says when you're hurting, I have to have less of whatever it is I have so that you can have enough. Or that your pain, I, I can't just send you a text message and say, I hope you get better, I'll pray for you. I need to show up and grieve with you. That's what it means to be a generous church. Are you with me? Fellowship and prayer, the church gathered corporately to pray together. I believe that's powerful. So we see a church that eats, shares, and prays in fellowship. With one another, a church that gathers together formally and informally. It says they meet in temple courts and homes. So there's something about gathering here together on Sundays, corporately, publicly, and there's something about gathering in community groups, gathering in homes. It doesn't have to be community groups, but we need to invite people into our homes and celebrate the risen Christ together by breaking bread. Whether it's whether it's a, a carne asada, a, a barbecue, or something. Either way, share meals with one another publicly and corporately while we're worshiping Jesus in our homes. Our homes, as Christians, must become worship centers, prayer houses, healing centers, a place where captives are set free. I'll show, this is—I know tons of people do this—but the other day, um, Alex was out of town, and I was—I was discipling one of the kids um, that I've discipled for ten years. He was a twelve years old now; he's twenty-two. And he was just frustrated that we keep talking about stuff. I'm like, well, let's just go witness. So we went to Lincoln Park, and we're going to share our faith. I'm like, we'll just go to the first person. And how we're going to witness is we're just going to say, what do you need, and let's take care of it. So we went to this guy, met him, and I said, what do you need? He's like, I haven't eaten in two days. And uh, so we went and walked over to Potholder in downtown and got him breakfast, shared a meal with him. Um, Nothing special about that. And I I felt like I told JD, um, hey, whatever he asks, we have to give to him. And then he begins to tell us that he's... He just got um, off a bus from Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, no, he's going to need a bus ticket back to Wisconsin. I can't afford that. Um, so so he's, I, I said, what do you need? And he says, I just need a shower. Just need a shower. All right, so I, I'm, of course I'm going to Google where do I get a homeless guy a shower, right? Because that's, that's the best thing you can do here, right? All the shower programs are closed this particular weekday. But I did know my wife was out of town. So, yeah, sometimes you take them to your house and risk whatever it is. I mean, I'm not saying that's prescriptive, but sometimes, sometimes you've got to go a little further just to, to witness. Do you know what I'm talking about? So that's where your house becomes a center for mission. Your house becomes, I actually have a shower. Why don't you just come over? And most of us think that's crazy. You know what's crazy? A, becoming a safe family parent. That's crazy. Letting kids into your home for a weekend or weeks at a time. Those are the real heroes. You would never know. We have like nine families. The Monsters continue to take kids in constantly. They're like this, this, like, um, this safe family machine. It's like constantly taking... I think they have a one-bedroom place. Liz is, is not married lives in a one-bedroom place, and she does save families. How awesome is that? Her house becomes a center for mission. Her life becomes a center for mission. So, it says that they worship publicly, they prayed with unaffected joy. I'm just going to skip on. And the Lord added to their number daily of those being saved. The church exists for the outsider. The garden exists for those that aren't here. Do you know that? We exist for the non-members. This is a family meeting. Sundays are a family event where we bring people that don't belong, and we try to get them to belong. We try to get them to know Jesus, and the internal life of church reinforces and authenticates our evangelistic efforts. When I say evangelism, you guys all get scared. I get scared. Share your faith. Talk to people about Jesus. It's too, too difficult. But that's what we're here to do: is bring that stuff to the ends of the earth. Are you with me? Where are you in this? Do you see these characteristics in your life? Because it's not about how do we program this. It's about how do we allow the Spirit to do these things within us. Us being me, Darren, Alex, my wife. How do we allow it to come from our family first? I mean, I I look at the the portrait of the church and it's, it's romantic for me. As a church planner, I just idealize it. I long, I long for us to be marked that way. People would see us In all these things that are going on, and we just pull back and say, oh oh my gosh, there has to be a God. Look at the way these guys live. It's miraculous. How come the church doesn't look like that today? Why doesn't the church look like this today? I think because it's hard. It's hard to live where we share burdens. I think of people that are having kids right now, and um, for those of us that have been there, you know it's so natural for for us to do when when other couples have kids. It's, we start a, a meal list for them so that they get free meals because they don't have to worry about that. That's just a small thing. or when somebody ha- uh, loses a family member, we show up and sit, send flowers, walk with them. People are going through transition, we pay for their bills. Uh, it becomes very easy, but it's so hard because it costs us everything. It costs us everything. It costs you everything to have this type of church. Do you know that? To be this church? Many times we think that loving God is the real miracle. That, oh my gosh, I believe in God. That's the real miracle. It's, no, it's not. That's the easiest thing you can do. He's perfect, He's good. He's love, he's, he's all these amazing things, he's awesome. But people, that's the real miracle. People are selfish and indulgent and short-tempered and easily offended and resentful and irritable and I'm not even done yet, impatient and rude and mean and quick and unforgiving and narcissistic and consumeristic and imperfect. And those are just the people in church or on the freeway. It depends on when you're driving, on the four or five. But definitely in church when you, when you come to God you discover he's perfect and when you come to church you discover people are imperfect. We're a bunch of hypocrites in transition. And so as we look at this, we examine our lives and the only way we can possibly do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to commit and commit and commit and commit. To being filled so that God would do this in us. For everyone else. The church is designed to reveal how God really is. The church is designed to reveal the unity of God. This Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By how they live. And when a community, a church comes together. The beautiful word church comes together and lives this way. We show this fractured world. This whole thing is going somewhere. Get on board. You with me? Where do we begin then? Where do we begin to have this type of community? I want to challenge you. Where do you begin? You as an individual. You as your family. Begin. Here's what I, I have a list here for you. Uh, I, as I was reflecting on my heart, I thought this is what I, where I need to begin. Begin. First, we give up. You give up your preferences and recognize the church is not about you. The church is not primarily about meeting your needs, about fulfilling your dreams, about giving you your ministry or giving you a platform. The church is not about you. So, whatever preferences, whatever expectations, whatever hopes and dreams you have, um, Philippians chapter two says. Uh, Consider others more valuable than yourselves. Have the mindset of Christ. Although he was considered equal with God, did not consider equality with him as something to take to use for his own advantage. When we come to the church, we lay ourselves at the feet of one another. We lay down our need to be right. Our need to be justified. Our need to be uh, understood properly. We lay down our rights and say, it's about what, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I use all of this stuff that God's given me for the sake of blessing you so that the world will see there's a God because I want to love you the way God loved me because of the direct connection between how God, I love God and how I love the person I hate the most. We lay it down. It's not about you. Your life, all of your stuff, it's not about you, it's not for you, it's about how you get that to other people as fast as you can. If you're you're kind, to be kind to others. If you're generous, to give generously. If you have leadership gifts, it's to use those leadership gifts diligently. That's the church, guys. Whew, I'm passionate. Second, give up your consumerism. We are the church is dying because it competes with entertainment industry and consumers, and we try to make it about you. We try to make the best kids ministry possible so people will sign up and get involved. You know what? People aren't signing up and getting involved at our church. The same people, the same family, the DeSotos are carrying the youth and kids ministry. That's embarrassing to me. And I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say it. That's not the garden. The garden is a church that when there's a need, it shows up. That's the, jar- that's the garden. This is a family conversation. And I'm sorry, for lo- this is obviously heavy for those of you that are new to this. This is what it means to belong to a family. Have you ever been a part of a family that didn't have conflict? If you have, talk to me afterwards, because you need to write a book. You can make a lot of money. the no conflict family. Let me write that down real quick. Just kidding. Third, we give up our pettiness and learn the language of grace, which is always expressed in the forgiveness of others. I, I see this time and time again, that things hurt us and we carry it on, and we have to learn to forgive. And you know what happens when you're the one that wrongs someone? You have to say, "I'm sorry." And the, there is so much conflict. I just have to say, if you belong to the garden long enough, you're going to hurt someone and you're going to be hurt. I might even hurt you as the lead pastor. I'm not perfect and I, made, I have made lots of mistakes. I have done a ton of apologizing. Because I'm, I'm human. But if you, if you commit to a church, you don't walk away. You press in. That's what it means to be the community of God. Jesus doesn't run from his enemies. He goes straight for it. And so we learn to give up the pettiness. It's how things have to be, the emails that were misunderstood, whatever it is. You jump in. If the community group it, it, you know, has to cancel last minute or whatever, you just give it up. And you show up and you show up and you commit. You with me? And last, you uh, have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So those are the things that I wanted to teach. But let me just end. We're going to worship now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. Um, so if you're part of the team, would you just come up? I want to end with this kind of, where do we, how do you, how can I belong to the garden? As I've been praying, I'm going to sit. As I've been praying through our church in the season, do you know that we've grown by like, numerically by 30% over this last year, something like that, over 100 and something people. Um, So we started with 12-ish, you know, each year we've grown, it was like 130, then it was 260, and then it was 300, and now it's average attendance is 450 or something like that, and lots of kids, and that's a lot of growth, that's a lot of change. The average church is 70 people in the United States. The average church in America is 70 people Um, so we, we clearly have a a growing church and that's great, but you know what? I'm not going to judge the success of the garden by how many people come on Sunday. I can't do that anymore. I can't get my identity from that. And we can't do that anymore. We have to make it about the markers of these things. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to belong to the garden. And here's what I think it means to belong here. We don't have membership. Number one. You continually commit to learning how to follow Jesus with your life and become a full participant here. Okay? Whatever that means. You commit and you become a full participant. You worship with us and pray with us, number two. Number three is you live in authentic community through participating in a community group, sharing your lives with one another, and serving on Sunday. Um, You guys, we have have these things right here. I know you can't see them. It's too dark. Um, I want you to pull these out. These are, these are for those that uh, are really just observe, passive observers and want to become full participants. I'll talk about this in a second. So li- join a community group. Um, fourth, you live on mission through serving others, evangelism, and opening your homes and lives to others in order to spread the kingdom of, of God on earth as it is in heaven. And fifth, you commit to giving regularly and generously.